Hey everybody, on this episode of Unbeatable, you get a chance to hear from this lovely lady from South Africa named Lois Bogner. Lois has an incredible story about an incident that radically changed her life. And honestly, she dealt with a lot of hurt and a lot of shame for many years until she made a courageous decision to go meet her attacker. You're going to be blown away when you listen to Lois's story on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. I normally tell you about the sponsor for this episode, and I'll just remind you this episode, like those in the past, is sponsored by the Solomon Foundation. These guys and gals are committed to helping the local church grow, and they do it by giving you an excellent return while you make an eternal impact. So if you want to know more, you can always check it out at thesolomonfoundation.org. But I also want to tell you this episode is sponsored by Angelica, my assistant. She listened to Lois or Lois's story. And Angelica, thank you for making the recommendation because I was blown away by Lois today. And without further ado, here's my interview with Lois Wagner. Hey, Lois, I want to thank you for being a guest on this episode of Unbeatable. Hi, Jeff. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm going to do my best to pronounce your last name correctly. It's a proper Dutch Afrikaans last name. So Lois Wagner, thank you for being on our show. Thank you. You have a beautiful South African uh, accent. And for the people that are watching from the Northern Hemisphere, it's the middle, it's almost the end of July right now when this episode goes live. It is scorching hot where we are. But of course, you're down on the other side of the globe, which means you're in the middle of winter and you're bundled up with a blanket across your lap right now. Is that right? I am indeed. You know, they say South Africa doesn't get cold, but uh, we, we're not geared up for the cold weather. We don't have double glazing and insulation. Yeah. But when it gets cold, we're just not ready for it. <laughs> yeah. I have lots and lots of friends there. And by the way, one of them sent me a message and said, hey, there is some light snow flurries in Johannesburg. First time in 12 years that there has been some light jo- uh, snow flurries in Johannesburg just a couple of weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> That's why I'm so cold. Yeah. Um, hey, we can we talk about how amazing South Africa is for just a few minutes? Would that be okay? It is. It is a great, great country. It's got a lot of problems, but it's a great country. Yeah, I live in the United States. It's a great country, but we have a lot of problems too, just like every country on the planet does. My first time in South Africa, I fell in love. Um, And it was 2010, which means, of course, that the whole country, but especially the city of Johannesburg, where you live, was getting ready for the World Cup. That means everything looked beautiful. The grass was all trimmed. The roads were brand new. There was a brand new stadium. And the garbage was picked up. And I thought, this place is so beautiful. I want to keep coming back for the rest of my life. And I actually have been coming back to South Africa since then over and over again. I plan to keep going back there because I was really amazed by what I saw. But you know what impressed me most? I saw the 
beautiful um, country. I had a chance to go visit the Kruger National Park and see the wildlife. But the reason why I decided I want to keep coming back here is the people of South Africa, Lois. I was so amazed by the people that I met there and uh, feel like I got a chance to meet a new friend from South Africa today. Great. Well, I hope to see you when you come back. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, so for all of the, and by the way, there is a very healthy South African audience that's listening to this episode right now. So for all of our South African friends that are tuned into Unbeatable, you've got one of your own on this episode. Um, Lois, let's talk a little bit about what life was like for you as a girl growing up in South Africa before we get into some of your business ventures and then some of the challenges that you have been through. Well, growing up in South Africa was fantastic. It was really, I mean, it is a great country. Um, the weather is just, and the weather in Joburg is by far the best um, yeah. around the country, yep. in my opinion. It's really stunning weather. It gets cold now. We get to, we get to zero degrees centigrade. Um, it doesn't really get colder than that, but we feel it. Um, and it's just, it's an outdoor life and it's so much sun and there's so much to do. And of course, if you travel around the country down to KwaZulu-Natal and my favorite place, Cape Town, my favorite place in the of world course, is Cape yeah. Town. Um, it's just beauty personified. And as you say, the people are friendly and open and accommodating. And so it's growing up here. It was uh, I was poor growing up, very poor. Um, but my father worked on the railways and we got free railway trips every year. All um, right, yeah. So we used to go down to the coast for our annual holidays. And so, yeah, it, it was really great growing up. Right now we've got, I mean, as we are speaking, I've got no water and I've got no electricity. <laughs> um, so we are having those kind of problems, being without water for three days. Um, we we without electricity sometimes up to 10 hours a day. Yeah. So we have those challenges right now, but we will overcome. Well, thank you for overcoming those challenges. I've been through those rolling blackouts every time I'm in South Africa, what you would call load sharing. Um, and obviously in the summertime, it's much more uh, livable than in the bitter cold of the winter with no real heating in the in at all and then no electricity. Um, so thank you for taking time out for this episode in the middle of those difficult circumstances. You, um, you, you made an attempt at business um, and that attempt didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Would you describe like the business venture and then what happened when you ended up kind of going bankrupt and losing it all? Well, it's a big story. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I was in partnership in a digital printing company and it was in the early days, it, we were the first digital printing company. This was based in Cape Town and uh, it was very exciting because we were the first ones. Everybody, yeah, right. every designer, every artist came to us with their little, in those days, a stiffy disc and we would yeah. play it out and print their color prints for them. Um, so it was fantastic. We were doing really well. Uh, we had, you know, it was it was a high volume, low value business. So people would we would print out hundreds of things at very low value. So we were ticking over nicely. We were in business for about two years, and we got this lovely order for a New Year's event. And I was working late one night. My partner had gone on holiday. 
um, it was the day before New Year or the two days before New Year. Yeah. And I yeah. was working late at night, lovely little courtyard outside, uh, and I was making button badges, <laughs> doing manual labor. <laughs> and I had the music going and I had a drink and uh, it was just, it was a very pleasant evening. And uh, yeah, and at first I knew that there was somebody on the premises was when he had his hand around my throat and a screwdriver to my neck. Yeah, and, Lois, can I um, yeah. pause for just a second yeah. um, uh, before we tell this the rest this the rest of this story? Um, you and I both understand that in South Africa, a lot of the country takes a holiday from around the Christmas time frame all the way through the New Year's, which means many, many people, business people all over the country are now um, on holiday with their family. And that would mean that you are very much alone, not just because it's close to New Year, but because lots of businesses shut down for several weeks during this time of the year in South Africa. It's night, you're alone, and you're very vulnerable when there's a hand around your throat and a screwdriver to your head. And I uh, watched you tell this part of your story and it was so gripping. It was actually so gruesome. Um, but would you just describe to the audience what happens next? Well, I, I fought. <laughs> I, I thought uh, I, can, I can take this guy out. And I fought, but I didn't know how to fight. <laughs> and uh, we had quite a gruesome fight. He, he stabbed me in the throat. He stabbed me in my mouth. He stabbed me in my ear. Blood was gushing everywhere. He throttled me. I had contact lenses in. They popped out. Broke a tooth. Um, and eventually he, he grabbed the glass off the table and he smashed it. And he came at, at, my, at me to, to my stomach. And that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to die. <clears throat> so I thought I'd rather live, so I stopped fighting. And he pushed me into a corner and he he raped me. And he then tied me up with various bits of pieces, bits of clothing, bit of strapping and stuff that was lying around in the courtyard. He tied me up, he stole my car, and he left me there. And I was bleeding profusely. He basically left me to die. Yeah. Um, how old were you when this happened? I was 40. And did you have any idea who this man was before or during the attack? Complete stranger, no idea. It's quite interesting. The night before, I was working late, and I was nervous the night before, and I'd phoned our security company, and I said, just hmm. drive past a few times and just check that I'm okay, yeah. which they did. And the second night, I wasn't nervous at all, and uh, and that's when he attacked. So he uh, he might have been watching me, and he saw that uh -huh. there was nobody there to look out for me, and so he he took the opportunity. It was behind an eight foot wall, so he had scrambled up an eight foot yeah. wall to get in. Wow! How long were you left for dead? And when you use the phrase "left for dead," and when I heard you describe this entire attack online, you really were literally bleeding to death yeah. because of the stabbing and the puncture wounds. How long were you left for dead and what did the medical care look like next? Well, I had the foresight when he broke the glass, I managed to grab a piece of the of the broken glass and I kept it in my hands. And then after he left, I managed to cut myself free with the broken glass and I, wow. and I called the police. 
and I must say I was so fortunate. <laughs> I, I called. I, the only negative I have about the whole experience was that phone call because I phoned, I shouted, I said, he's stolen my car, he's running, he's riding down Green Street, he's, get him. And they said, what's your name? I said, don't, 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 don't worry about my name. <laughs> <laughs> don't, who cares what my name is? Go get him. He's in my yeah. car. I don't even gave him the wrong name of the car. I said he was driving a, a Jetta. I wasn't, my car wasn't a Jetta. <laughs> <laughs> I was in such a state, obviously. And that's the only thing that they did wrong. If they had just said, thank you, we've got that. Now please tell me your name. You know, I would yeah. have calmed down. Yeah. But they actually caught him within 10 minutes. Um, there was a shootout. They, they, they shot the car. My car had lovely bullet wounds in it, um, but they caught him within 10 minutes. And if they just told me that, you know, I would have calmed down. But where I was so extremely fortunate is that the first people on the scene were, there was a, 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 a two uh, a policemen who were patrolling in the area, a male and a female. And they were there mm -hmm. very, very quickly. And she, it was a male and a female, she was trained to deal with trauma. That was her speciality. Really? And, wow. Uh, and so she was wonderful. She just, the first thing she did was she stopped the blood. She, afterwards, she said it was the worst scene she had ever seen. There was blood from one end of the courtyard to the other. Yeah. And she, she just stopped um, the bleeding and made sure that I was going to live. And then she said, we got him. And that was yeah. all I needed. It's all she knew wow. exactly what I needed. I needed to live, and I needed to know that they'd got. Yeah, it's normal. Um, I think I would have thought the same way. Uh, I would have, after being attacked, thought immediately about my car. Like he's got my car. I need my car back. Or go get my car. In spite of the horrific wounds and the sexual assault that you just went through, when I heard about your story. I didn't realize that you, uh, that the police were that responsive. Like in the most developed countries in the world, 10 minutes is unheard of to capture somebody who just committed a crime uh, like this, an assault like this. So the fact that they were able to get him in 10 minutes, that's just incredible, Lois. But um, that's not the most incredible part about your story. But, What's really incredible about your story is is how things go next. But just for you also, also asked me about the medical case. So the ambulance yeah. came, and I kept I couldn't breathe, and 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 you know he had straight he had, he had tied me up with so many different things, and yet there was clothing and there, and nobody thought to cut off all the stuff that was around my throat, <laughs> and I was and I can remember in the ambulance. <laughs> So, but the medical care was fantastic. I must say, everybody, it was yeah. a male a district surgeon who examined me. He was very sensitive. Everybody was really yeah. sensitive and caring. You know, um, even the insurance company, um, is it okay if a man comes and speaks to you? Uh -huh. They were incredibly sensitive and, and understanding. It was, it was really well, fantastically handled all around. Well, I'm watching you right now on this interview and the people that are watching this on YouTube, if we, if you look hard enough, Lois, you might be able to see a couple of scars, but you look great. When you describe this in vivid detail, you talk about the amount of uh, screwdriver stabs to the face that you took and how bad that, you know, the, the physical uh, damage that he did to you. 
And uh, now from a distance, I don't think most people would even notice that that's what you went through. So you really did get amazing medical care. I did. It was it was excellent. No, it, it, it was a problem in that I, I was a scuba diver and I couldn't scuba dive because he punctured my eardrum as well. And so I couldn't equalize to scuba dive. So I was really angry about that. <laughs> So for everybody who's listening to you right now, I want them to just, in their mind, imagine the sheer violence of those many stab wounds to the face with a screwdriver as this man is assaulting you and then eventually raping you. Um, The reason why you're on this episode today, I normally do at the end of every episode, I recognize one of the fans. And we're going to do that at the end of this one. You don't have to sit through that, Lois. But the reason why you're on this episode, one of our biggest fans is my assistant. Her name is Angelica. I just want to say to Angelica, you're amazing. The reason why you're on this episode is Angelica saw your video and Angelica said, Jeff, you've got to hear this lady's story. She sent me your video. I normally don't have time to watch two minutes of videos on YouTube, but when I started watching your video, I was hooked and I couldn't stop listening to you. And really what caused me to say this woman truly is unbeatable is you going to the police department, going to prison, and then eventually going to, uh, you know, your attacker. I'm still amazed at what I heard. So would you just describe this next phase of your life after being attacked, viciously attacked like this? Well, there's lots of middle stories in between that, but we'll get to we'll get to sure. the one you. Well, go ahead, give us one or two of them. Uh, yeah, well, I don't want to skip over anything important, so give us some of that. Well, as a result of that, I didn't want to work there anymore, and so I asked my partner to buy me out. And instead of buying me out, he betrayed me, and he put the business into liquidation. And he didn't even tell me that he had done it oh, the first time. No. So he took the business and all of the money yes, after so, you were attacked like that. Yeah. So it was like two, within two months after the attack, I lost everything. Um, and he sequestrated himself in his personal capacity. So all the debt of the business came to me. Uh-huh. And I got a job um, because I had to start again. And I went and got a job. And when I said, well, I also want to sequestrate myself, they said, no, you can't. Um, because you got a job. And so the entire debt that we, from the company came to me. Um, oh and my it, goodness. it took me years and years and years to pay off that debt. So I was filled with a lot of resentment and hatred towards my business partner. Um, I, I'm just processing this right now. The guy that you trusted to go into business with, the one that you built a successful business, pioneering um, printing, uh, you know, digital printing uh, in a in a new age. After you're attacked, decides I'm going to take advantage of Lois and I'm going to take her for everything that I can. And he takes the business and sells it right out from underneath you, and puts all of the debt and all of the responsibilities on you. I don't know if there's a lower thing a person on earth can do than what your business partner did after you were brutally attacked and raped like this. Yeah. What can I say? What can I say? It happened. Yeah, and then and then another um, in between story is about two years later. One day I just couldn't get out of bed. My back collapsed, and uh, MRI scans and various tests. I had to have a back operation. 
the back operation failed. I had a second back operation. The second back operation failed. The surgeon said that I would never hike again. I was a keen hiker because I could never carry anything on my backpack. I was bedridden for six months. And until it was pointed out to me that it was all psychosomatic, there was nothing wrong with me. So what had happened after I was attacked, I became an activist and I went around trying to change the world. Uh, uh-huh. I marched the streets, I led marches, I wrote petitions, I wrote to ministers. Um, it was at the time when South Africa was going through its change from apartheid and they were yeah. all, and they were writing a new constitution and I wanted to get, the, the man who raped me was out on bail for rape and I just wanted to change the law and get this kind of thing, stop this kind of thing from happening. And so I was very visible, I was very um, verbal, I was out there fighting the good fight. And so what happened two years later was when it was pointed out to me, I hadn't faced the trauma, I hadn't faced the problem. And I was putting it behind me and putting it behind me and putting it behind me and loading my back until my back said, sorry, I can't hold you up anymore. And when that was pointed out to me, I just went and got some treatments, uh, really just went inside and and dealt with it, dealt with the emotions, had eight chiropractic treatments and did a five-day hiking trail with a 29-kilogram backpack on my back. By the way, for anybody who doesn't know the metric system, 29 kilograms is a lot of weight for a woman your size, Lois, which means you are a pretty strong woman. I'm a big Um, woman. (laughs) You just described the physical ailments, but it's fascinating. I have known many people that have gone through trauma, not the same trauma that you've gone through, but they've gone through physical trauma and it has manifest or they've gone through emotional trauma and it's showed up in their life in a very physical way. They go to the doctors. There's definitely something not right with me. But when the doctors run all the tests, they're saying there's absolutely nothing wrong. It's not there. It's not that it's not there, but it's showing up physically um, in because of something that's going on in your heart and in your head. Literally what you're telling me, Lois, is that you were carrying the trauma of this rape and trying to fix the world on your back. And it became such a heavy burden that you hurt your, that you had to have multiple surgeries to try to fix the trauma that you were carrying around on your back. Yeah. And so I really want the audience to hear this part from you, because I think a lot of people, they really just try to figure out a way to make that very uncomfortable past those bad memories. They just want to make them go away. So they don't do the work of getting healthy. And you talked about in order for me to get my back healthy, I have to figure out how to get myself emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually healthy again. So can you go into a little bit more detail there? What did you do to get healthy after this rape? Well, the first thing was immediately when when this was when I uncovered this problem <laughs> that it was all in the mind. Um, I just did a lot of inner work and I dealt with the, the emotions. So I did a lot of talk therapy and somatic therapy, and just going inside and and figuring out what was going on inside <clears throat> and dealing with those emotions: the fear, the hatred, the disgust, the shame, the blame. You know, I had 
I had shame, you know, why couldn't I fight better? I had shame. Yeah. Why, why did I, I drank a lot afterwards? <laughs> I got drunk often afterwards. Mm-hmm. I had that shame. I had blame. I blamed everybody else, you know, I blamed my partner, I blamed everybody. And so there were a lot of emotions that I had to deal with, the fear, the the, the sadness, the, the hatred. There was, there was so much, and I just went into inside and using various techniques, I dealt with those emotions. But I think the final healing came, unfortunately, only 14 years later. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and that was, I'd left the country. I'd been gone for a year. I was working in the Middle East. And uh, I was coming home for my first holiday. And in those, in those 14 years, I had never once thought, well, I had thought about it, but I'd never once sort of said, I should find out, is he still in prison? Is he dead? Yeah, is right. he alive? Yeah. It had never really sort of, you know, what was the point? Um, if I ever saw a documentary on the prison system, I'd keep my eyes open. Maybe I'd see him. But right, maybe I'll see him. Yeah. <laughs> so it was never a, a sort of a conscious thing that I needed to have any contact with him or know anything about him. And then um, for some reason, as I was planning my trip home, I thought, let me contact the authorities and just find out what the status is. And it was amazing. They said to me that he's coming up for his first parole hearing the day after I landed in the country. Wow. And I just said, coincidence, serendipity, I don't know, there's something going on. Right. And on top of that, um, the law had just changed in South Africa, allowing what they call victims, I don't like the term victims, but what they call victims of, of major crime, to attend parole hearings. So I just said, well, I've got to go. And everybody said, don't go, you're going to get triggered, you're going to get hurt. Bringing all those memories back, bringing all of those bad feelings back. Yeah, I can see why everybody would tell you, don't go, Lois. And uh, I just said, the universe has spoken, you know, I've got to go. And they said, to what end? You know, are you going to support his parole? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've just got to go. I I, I have to go. And uh, then then a friend of mine, he said to me, well, if you're going to go, you, you must forgive him. And I said, yeah, right. I'm going to forgive this man. (laughs) Okay, hold on just a second. I got to know, what was the reasoning that your friend told you if you're going to go? And everybody's telling you don't go because this is not going to be good for you if you go. But why would your friend tell you if you go, you have to forgive? Because that's the last thing I think most people have on their mind at a parole hearing for the man that viciously attacked you like this. Well, he, he is a, a Christian man, and he had been through some, which he's never told me what, he'd been through some kind of trauma in his life, and he's never shared that with me. Um, and he just said, I'm telling you, you have to forgive. And uh, so I thought, oh, well. And what was, can I just ask you, what was your first reaction when he said, you have to forgive? Like, what were you really thinking when I was he, thinking he said out of your tiny cotton picking little mouth. That's mom. exactly right. That's, I was, <laughs> that's what would be going through my mind. Like, are you insane? <laughs> yeah. And, but what I did was, then I went and I visited Mr. Google and I Googled a lot and read up a lot on, on forgiveness and what was it and what was it all about. 
and I prepared a little speech and I thought just in case, but I really had no, no, no intention of ever forgiving this man. So I got to, I landed in Cape Town the next morning. I got up, I drove out. The prison was out in the country, beautiful. It was such a beautiful drive, absolutely stunning. Um, beautiful flowers. The the spring in, mm-hmm. in in the Cape is unbelievable. We get these flowers that just come up everywhere out of nowhere. It was such a beautiful drive. In the distance, there were mountains with snow on the top, and it was just so beautiful. And I was calm and relaxed and I came around the corner and there was this prison with barbed wire fences and armed guards. And I thought, oh, what am I doing here? Yes, what am I doing? <laughs> and uh, they, they, were, um, they were expecting me and I was the first person that had ever come to one of these parole hearings. And so they didn't quite know what to do with me. Really? The first one that ever took them up on the offer of, you can go to the parole hearing yeah, if you want. Yeah. They really didn't know what to, what to do with me. And they led me through the prison. I had to walk through the prison. Uh, gates clanging shut behind me. It was, it was Which must weird. have been terrifying. And all these men in their over, orange overalls sitting around waiting for whatever they were waiting for. So it was quite an uncomfortable experience. But I got to uh, the, hall, the the interview room, whatever it's called, and the first thing is they apologized. They said they were building a proper rooms for these in the future, but because I was the first one, I had to do it in the, in the prison itself. And um, they explained the procedure to me, and then they called in the prisoner. And, so uh, is this the first time you've seen him kind of face-to-face in the same room since the attack? Oh, well, I saw him at the court case, obviously. Yeah, yeah okay. Given, I, I don't know if I mentioned he was given 25 years. No, 25 years, yeah. okay. Which was... Um, now he's been sentenced in prison yeah. for how long? 14. When the parole came up? 14, 14, 14 years, yeah. okay. And, and just bearing in mind that in those days, 25 years was an unheard of sentence um, rape was given mostly about a 10-year sentence. So mm-hmm. I had a fantastic, fantastic prosecutor. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he was given 25 years. So there I was 14 years late. He came in. Um, he, we sort of looked at each other. I don't, I don't recall feeling anything, um, but they went through, and it was quite a long process. They went through his behavior and what he had done and what courses he had done and how he had progressed he had joined the gangs we've got a i don't know if you've heard about the the gangs in the in the Mm -hmm. uh, south african prison system there's some very vicious ugly gangs Um, and i think they have to join these gangs for survival to survive yeah so he was a gang member Anyway, we went through the whole thing. And then when it was finished, they said to me, did I have anything to say? And I said, yes. <laughs> I pulled out my little speech. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, I started reading it. And as I was reading it, I realized as well that he, he didn't understand, he wouldn't understand it because um, English was not his first language. And mm-hmm. although I'd written it quite academically, I suppose. Um, and I thought, oh, even I don't understand what I've written here. <laughs> And so I, I just, I can't remember now exactly what I said, but something like I looked at him and I say, I want to passionately and completely forgive you. And I want to take the responsibility from my higher self and I'm handing it back to your higher self and you must now deal with it. 
and I forgive you. And everybody was shocked. There was this dead silence in the room. I mean, the, the, the authorities, there must have been about eight gentlemen in the room who were the authorities, and there was a priest and various. They all just looked at me, all big-eyed. And, um, and then they told me that they would let me know in seven days if he got parole or not. And it was, I, I've still never been able to put any of this into words. It was the most amazing thing. I just looked at them. I said, no. You won't tell me if he's got parole or not. I don't need to know. Um, you know, because what, you know, when unforgiveness is when you're bonded to somebody or to something and you, you held so tight to that and you are suffering. The other person has often walked away from it and totally unaware that you've got any form of suffering. So you are bonded. You You are feeling that pain. You are remembering the hurt. And when you forgive, what it does, it just breaks that bond. It actually breaks it and it sets you completely free from that situation, from that individual, from whatever was going on. And, um, yeah, I didn't walk out of that prison. I flew out of that prison. I The reason why you're on this episode, Lois, is because of what you just described. When I heard your story, others have been attacked. Others have been mistreated. Others... Uh, think other people have gone through terrible circumstances. But when I heard you describe going into that parole hearing and forgiving the man that attacked you, I that was the moment that I immediately reached out to my assistant, Angelica, and said, please contact Lois. I want her to be on the show because this is what being unbeatable looks like. And just for the people that are relatively new to this podcast, the very word unbeatable assumes that something bad has happened to you. And maybe like Lois, you didn't deserve it. You never saw it coming. This should have never happened to you. You've been beat by circumstances. But at this point, you have two choices. You can allow those circumstances to crush you and keep you down. Or basically, you can quit because of these unfair circumstances that you've been through. Or you can choose to be like um, Lois and be unbeatable. You can choose to get up and to get healthy and to move on from it. Lois, I regularly, I have for many years counseled people privately who have gone through the worst kinds of trauma. And bad things have been done to them. Some incredible things that nobody would ever want to say to another human being they've shared to me. And I've given them the same advice that that man gave you. You have to forgive. And here's the first words out of their mouth. First, they say, I don't think I can do that. I say, you're probably right. You're going to need some supernatural help. But then the second words out of their house, uh, out of their mouth is, I don't, I don't know how to do that. In fact, there are some people that are listening to this episode right now. And they're thinking if some women that are listening, if that happened to me, what happened to Lois, I would never be able to forgive. There's some men that are listening saying, if that happened to my daughter or if that happened to my wife, I would not only not forgive, but I would go kill the man who did this to her. And so I need you to help us now. Would you help the audience figure out how do you forgive somebody who has done something that terrible to you? Well, Where do you even start to forgive? Well, the first thing is you can't forgive when you're still in the victim phase 
after the event, whatever it is, I mean, I think of my business partner. I hated him. I hated him so much that I thought if I see him in the street and I'm in my car, I will ride him over. Um, I was so filled with hatred. Um, and when you're in that phase, there is no way you can forgive. How can you forgive? Because you are so filled with anger, fear, disgust, hurt, shame, whatever that feeling is, there's no way you can forgive. And so when people say they can't forgive, they usually haven't dealt with the emotions of that trauma. And so my first, my first piece of advice is just work on that on those emotions separate the event from the emotions it's so important that you separate them um the event happened you can't change it it's done but the emotions that is great advice separating the event from the emotions is great advice but very very hard to do sorry to interrupt go ahead but it took me two years remember it was the back that caused me to figure that out yeah you know it took me two years um, and I'm saying, I wish now I'd known that you can do it quicker than two years, <laughs> okay? And the forgiveness part quicker than 14 years. Um, you don't have to go alone. There, and and also, there are so many different types of healing modalities. And they're not, what works for me is not going to work for you. You've got to find the one that works for you. And, and know that you're not alone somebody somebody is there to help you um, but it's yeah. so important because when you're in that victim mindset there's no way you can move on to to anything so that's my first step is is um is is get um you know deal with those emotions then you you got to if i can if i can add just a quick comment here lois at this point when people have asked me okay you're telling me to forgive and I'm telling you, I don't think I can and I don't even know where to start. I give them the same advice and then I remind them by hanging on to the hate, what you're really doing is hurting yourself. You're saying that person did something so terrible to me, they deserve to suffer because of what they did to me. And that's actually normal. That's not wrong. That's justice and we all want justice. But hanging on to hate is actually hurting yourself and not hurting the person that's done something wrong to you. So hanging on to hate is like saying, you hurt me real bad, and in order to punish you, I'm gonna keep hurting myself. And I tell a man, one of the first things you have to learn to do, as hard as this may sound, is you've gotta let go of the hate and the anger, because it's not hurting the person who did you wrong, it's only hurting you, and why would you keep hurting you after somebody's done something like that to you? You know, I always then, used to, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't solve the problem, right? I still have to figure out how to do this. So go ahead, Lois. No, so I always use as a really simple example: you're riding in your car and somebody cuts you off and goes speeding on, and you go, "Ah, oh, you idiot!" And that yes, person right. going on, they're listening to their music and they're happy, and you boiling inside, your blood pressure's gone up. And what is the point of you getting angry with that situation? Because the person that you're angry with doesn't even know you're angry with them. That's right. They don't know. They don't care. (laughs) Right. And so you only, as you say, you're only hurting yourself. So that is the first step. You've got to do that. Um, There's there's a couple of other steps that I talk about. Um, You you now need to build the resilience, and that is is take the event and and reframe and refocus and redirect your attention around that. 
What have I learned from this lesson? How can it help me? Even find the humor in it. Um, you can find humor in it. So I, I found lots of humor. You know, even with all the medical, um, my, my, my friends were always laughing, saying they've seen me inside and out when they came with me to all the medical examinations. They would laugh and say, well, now we've seen you both inside and outside. We'd have a big giggle. I mean, not that it was really funny, but we laughed. <laughs> Um, and so finding the humor um, and refocus, look at it, look at it from a different angle, Re reframe it, look at it from somebody else's viewpoint and, and, and just reanalyze the whole situation and say, well, what am I yeah. learning from this situation? Where, where is it helping me? Um, to be more safe, you know, now I must learn how to fight, you know, how to protect my premises. Um, but also that I don't become neurotic about it and I don't become paranoid about it. I can still right. remember during the court case, it was before we had cell phone, cell phones and I went to a ticky box to go and make a call to somebody during the break in the court case. And a man came behind me and he said, I'm after you. I got such a fright. And I oh, shouted. I can only imagine what that <laughs> sounded like to you. And he I, wanted to get on the phone after you. <laughs> wow. And I shouted at him and I swore at him. And I felt so bad when I realized afterwards that he was just waiting for the phone that I left, oh, all, I left yes. a whole bunch of change for him to use in the phone box. <laughs> so that's where some of the humor comes in. But that's also some of the learning, you know. I, I can also remember walking down the street and I had a really good body in those days and some guy drove past and he whistled at me and I thought, are you dirty beast? Why are you you know, of course I thought, no, I'm an attractive woman and he's allowed to whistle at me. <laughs> and why am I reacting so negatively to, yeah. to him, yeah. him appreciating me? Yeah. So, so there's lots of learning, learning that comes from it. And then as far as forgiveness goes, I'm saying to everybody right now, forgiveness is a muscle. Practice forgiveness. Okay. Practice forgiveness. You know, everybody today, well, not everybody, but the big thing is write a gratitude journal. Every day write three things that you're grateful for. Uh, get that positive mindset and, you know, just look at the good things in life. And I'm saying, yeah, do that. But in addition, practice self-forgiveness. So you practice um, uh, every day, three little things. I kicked the dog because the dog ate my slipper. I burnt the toast. I forgot to phone my friend on her birthday. Silly things that you don't think need forgiveness. But if you start practicing those little self-forgiveness things, it becomes part of who you are. I actually call myself today, Lois, your friend for forgiveness. Um, and then the other thing is three things that you can forgive somebody else for. You forgive the dog for eating your slipper. You forgive your husband for forgetting to bring the milk home from work. You forgive the dog for, for eating your slipper. Again, silly little things. Just yeah. make it a, a practice. Make it a habit. Make it part of your life. And then it becomes easy. When the big things happen, it becomes so much easier. Um. So that's where I say start now. Even though you feel I've got nothing to forgive anybody for, you do. <laughs> we all make mistakes. Is, is some of this described in your first book, Walking Without Skin? Is Do you describe the process of forgiveness in there, that book? I do. And I've also got a, a free um, ebook that people can get on, on my steps for forgiveness. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, my book, my book, <laughs> I started writing the book the very night that it happened. It was, I was so angry. Really? Yeah. 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 I, it took me 25 years to publish it, but <laughs> I was. <laughs> it was a masterpiece, <laughs> 25 years of work in the making. <laughs> no, but it started off as a journal and I thought, you know, mm-hmm. because this happened obviously way before the Me Too movement and nobody spoke about it in those days. It was a word that was never mentioned. Yeah, to this day, most people don't speak about it. If it's happened to them or somebody that they know, people don't even whisper about it because of all of the shame and the guilt that goes along with it. And the worst part about rape is the person that's been assaulted is the one that feels most guilty or most ashamed often. Now, I gave a talk to a hundred women and I said, statistically, 25 of you in this room have been mm-hmm. or will be raped. And everyone looked at me, oh, she's talking nonsense. And when I went to the, the bathroom during the break. And they were lined up, three right? Three women came and spoke to me. Yeah. And said, <coughs> yep. they, they had been raped. As I was listening to you tell this story, um, I heard you talk about forgiveness and it just blew me away. But you're the first person that I've ever heard use this phrase, forgiveness is a muscle. And I really like the way you described this because you start exercising a muscle with some small weights and then you make some gains and you add some medium weights and then you can make some big gains and add some big weights and make the muscle really strong. Well, you get to the big forgiveness as I'm listening to you today, Lois, by doing the little small steps of forgiveness that make you able to forgive the medium stuff, which eventually makes you forgive the big stuff. I heard you use this phrase, and I really, really like it, and I really want the listeners to hear it. Forgiveness is what you described as a more rewarding and a more fulfilling life. And I want you to just to, to explain that a little bit more, because if you have a choice between hanging on to hate or forgiveness, what forgiveness is going to give you is infinitely better than hanging on to the hate and the anger from the past. So would you describe that phrase? Yeah. So forgiveness really sets you free. Uh, and I, I battle to put this into words. It's a feeling. Uh, you, yeah. just, you just feel lighter. You feel at peace. You know, it gives you that sense of, of calmness and a sense of peace. And, you know, I talk about it. Oh, sorry. We've got Arbus birds flying around. They're quite noisy. I don't know if you heard that. That's what's beautiful about <laughs> South Africa. Um, and they come at this time because they want to eat the dog food. Yes, right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's just the most amazing feeling. Um, it, it sets you, it sets you free. And even though I talk about it, I can now talk about it without any yeah. pain, without any hurt. And you know, he attacked me from behind. And before, if somebody just walked behind me, I would, <gasps> I would get a fright. Now yeah, you can right. come up right behind me, you can go boo, and I say, what are you doing? <laughs> it, you know, I, uh-huh. I'm not triggered. I, I don't get triggered anymore by anybody else's story or by any experience. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. And that's what freedom does. It, it just allows you to move on. You know, it allows you yeah. to let go. You just described walking out of the parole hearing, and you used a beautiful image. You didn't walk out of that prison you floated out of the prison because you had been set free you had forgiven your attacker and actually you set yourself free from the hate and the hurt in the process um 
it is a it is an incredibly difficult thing to uh, forgive somebody who has done that kind of harm to you. And Lois, I hope when people are listening to this episode right now, they're thinking there's somebody that's done me wrong, and I didn't think I could ever forgive them. But if Lois can forgive this man, then I'm going to start exercising the forgiveness muscle so that I can forgive the person that's done me wrong. I want to wrap up um, this episode by letting you talk for a minute about your book, The Voices of the 21st Century. What is the book? Why did you write it? And honestly, I want people to know how they can find it out there. So uh, tell everybody a little bit about that book, would you? Okay, that book's actually a collaborative book. It's based it's, it's based in the USA. Um, it's uh, by the Women's Speakers Association, and they publish a book mm-hmm. every year, um, a Voices book every single year. And they just get a compilation of about 40 women's stories, and they just publish it. It's a fabulous little book. Um, of people's stories of life. It's not only trauma, it's stories of life. And yeah. every year, I think they've published about five or six now. I did mine a few years ago. Uh, I think I may do another one because they're just nice little Way books. to go. <laughs> so, All right. But, but I, I want to just go back to my book, The Walking Without Skin, because I intended to to publish it as a journal. Um to get my story out there. But because mm-hmm. I kept I, I kept writing it and writing it and writing it, then it became a diary and it became so boring. <laughs> a day in <laughs> Lois's life, <laughs> the ups and the downs, and it became so boring. I thought, oh, well, no one's ever going to read this book. And so I just left it. And then when the forgiveness happened, I thought, oh, now I've got a yeah. conclusion for the book. I can now conclude the book. I've got an ending, yay. But at that point, I was living overseas, and I was living a high life overseas, and I was traveling the world. I was having the most exotic of lifestyles. So, the mm-hmm. And it's only when I returned to South Africa, age 64, <laughs> that I decided to actually publish it. But in a way, it's a good thing, because then the format changed. So instead of being a journal, yeah. it's part, self, part self-help guide and part journal. Yeah. So it gives tips on how to deal with the different situations. Where did the title come from? I don't know. It just came. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it's an interesting title. And I always ask people, what do they understand by the title? Because yeah. Walking think, without skin is a very unusual phrase. Yeah. So, and, and now my, my coaching business, I call that walking without skin as well. So it's about vulnerability because your skin is what holds yeah. you together and protects you. So by being vulnerable and sharing and talking about it, I'm walking without skin. I'm walking vulnerably and free. And, and if we can be honest, part of hanging on to that hurt and that hate is trying to protect yourself and build up a, a barrier to make sure that it never happens again. And maybe one of the reasons why people struggle with forgiveness so much is that they wonder in the back of their mind, if I forgive, do I become vulnerable? Do I become susceptible to the same thing happening to me? So I really think people need to go out and they need to read Walking Without Skin because it is very, very challenging to forgive somebody and be vulnerable. But if you don't do that, as you've described very well, Lois, they don't get free from it. Yeah. They'll hang on to that hurt and it will continue to hurt them for the rest of their life. 
if they're in a situation where they can't leave the situation, yeah. um, forgiveness is not inviting the same thing to happen again. Yeah. Um, it's just saying, I'll let that incident go. But please, ladies, if you are in an abusive relationship, get out. <laughs> get out. Yes, I absolutely agree. Yes. And for the husbands, the fathers that are listening right now, friends, if you have somebody who doesn't know how to protect themselves in an attack, would you help them a little bit? God forbid that they ever get in the same situation as Lois. Maybe they'll at least have a little bit of idea of how to defend themselves, protect themselves in the case of an attack. Lois, I'm so inspired by your courage to forgive. I know other people are too. If they want to learn more about you or if they want to know more about your um, you know, speaking and your uh, books, where do they find out more information? Walking Without Skin. Uh, if you Google Walking Without Skin, you will find me. I've got a YouTube channel. I've got a book. Uh, you'll find me. And I hope they will Google walking without, for those of you who are driving, we're going to put this in the notes to this episode, Google walking without skin. You'll find her book, you'll find her YouTube channel, and you'll see a lot of these incredible videos like my assistant Angelica found and said, Jeff, you've got to have Lois on the show because she really is unbeatable. Lois, thank you for taking some time and bundling up in the middle of a very cold winter to spend a few minutes with our audience on this episode of Unbeatable. Thank you. And I invite everybody to fly free. Oh, there you go. If uh, she just brought a butterfly across the screen, yes, please do fly free by forgiving somebody. Thanks, Lord. I'm going to put what Lois said into practice. I hope you will put what Lois said into practice. Forgiveness is like a muscle, and every muscle has to be exercised in order for it to get stronger. So will you choose to forgive yourself for three small things today? Very simple things. Will you choose to forgive somebody else for three very small, maybe even very simple things today? and start to strengthen the forgiveness muscle? Because who knows, God forbid, maybe you're gonna need a really strong forgiveness muscle one day in the future. Lois, thank you for making that statement. You challenged me, and I hope you challenged the entire unbeatable listening audience today. We've got some amazing guys and gals in this audience, and our fan of the week, as I mentioned during this episode, is Leroy Griffin. Leroy, you are amazing by all that you do, staying connected with us on social media. And we just wanted to point out, we love how engaged you are with our audience. For the rest of you, if you're not already following us on social media, why don't you go ahead and just subscribe on your favorite social media platform. Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast and we'll try to send you encouraging stuff all week long. If you just stumbled across this broadcast, if you just loved what you heard from Lois, there are other amazing guests that are coming up in the future. So why don't you go ahead and subscribe on your favorite social media platform or subscribe on YouTube. We're gonna bring you some more pretty amazing guests. But if you wanna be more than just a fan, if you wanna become a part of the Unbeatable family, why don't you join the Unbeatable Army? It's totally free. There's some giveaways that we'll offer to you. It's just a group of people 
that we stay connected to and I send content to all week long. If you want to be part of this family, just go over to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for tuning in for this episode and I'll see you right back here next week. God bless.